And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. Welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It's great to be with you today. Coming off the long weekend, and, uh, you know, as always, when you have a break, you kind of get out of the rhythm of things. But it was a a busy weekend. Had some really cool stuff. Um, We uh, had a... uh, Broadcast on uh, Apocrypha Apocalypse with William Albrecht and, and uh, David, and uh, was talking about Trent Horn doing a breakdown of his recent debate on the Old Testament canon. Then I think a day or two later, got to um, interview Anglican priest, or actually an Orthodox priest, excuse me. Uh, it's just, uh, sorry, I was reading something. Uh, uh, Orthodox priest on uh, the Orthodox view of the canon, as you know, Orthodoxy. Uh, accepts the Deuterocanon, those seven Old Testament books that Catholics have in their Bibles, uh, but are omitted in Protestant and Jewish Bibles. Um, but they also have a few extras besides that. And so that was a lot of fun. So doing a lot of apologetics right up to the holiday weekend, and uh, then uh, just a lot of fun through the week. I hope everybody had a great weekend as well. Uh, we got a fantastic show to kick off this Tuesday. We're going to have our good friends, Arthur and Teresa Beamon. As you know, uh, they are former Seventh-day Adventists. And have done a lot of research in Adventism and doctrines uh, surrounding Adventism. Today we're going to talk about a really important issue because uh, we're going to talk about the importance of Ellen Gould White in Seventh-day Adventism. It, it's kind of hard for us to, to fathom how to understand the influence and how uh, she's viewed by Seventh-day Adventists from a Catholic perspective. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about uh, the importance and how uh, she's viewed in that church. And I think for those who aren't familiar with Seventh-day Adventism, I think it's going to be a real eye-opener. So that's going to be a ton of fun. They're coming up on the other side of the break. This side of the break, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to do our Finding the Fallacy segment and Made an Early Church Father. Today's Finding the Fallacy is the appeal to spite. And the Early Church Father for today, I think, is probably pretty darn ex- obscure. It's Paulinus of Milan. Paulinus of Milan. So... Interesting stuff in front of us. So before I begin, I want to welcome you all to the show, getting our live stream audience. Hi, everyone. Also, I want to welcome all of you listening on radio around the country and also via podcast around the world, either through a handy-dandy phone app or through our flagship website, which is virginmostpowerfulradio.org. That is the place to go, folks. If you want to share this program, maybe uh, you're headed to a meeting or you're going on lunch or something like that, and you can't listen to the whole interview with the Beams, uh, you could go to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just go to Hands-On Apologetics. You'll select the program, and boom, you'll be able to listen to the whole thing. And you can do something else that is great. You can share it with your friends. Tell people about the program. 
that helps our outreach and it helps get this valuable information into the hands of people that need it most. So uh, please uh, do some apologetics, do some evangelism, and it's just a, a click of the button away. I mean, talk about being in a, a great place in history where you could do evangelism for the comfort of your own computer seat just by clicking on a link. So uh, don't say you're you're scared or it's too much work. It's all right there for you. All you have to do is do it. Also, um, let me give you also the official Dojo mailbox. So if you ever want to send me an email, I love hearing from you. The official mailbox is questions at handsonapologetics.com. Pretty easy to remember. Questions at handsonapologetics.com. You can send your questions in. Or uh, if you want to share, perhaps you're talking to somebody and you're not really sure how to direct your conversation or you need resources. I love recommending resources if I know any. Um, Shoot me an email. Another thing, too, if you know anybody that is really doing a fantastic job on social media that you would like to see on the show, get them a little bit more exposure, help them grow their ministry, love to have them on. Just send me an email. Give me contact information if you can so I can reach them. And very important, please also send me a link so that I can check out their material. And if they're dojo quality, I will invite them on the show. God willing, our schedules will be able to square and we'll be able to have them on the show. Because this is a live show, folks. So so unfortunately, there's a lot of great guests that I've asked to come on the show and it just doesn't square with their schedule. So um, that's just the way things are. But nevertheless, uh, please, you know, let me know. I, I'm always willing to help people out. I know I could have used the help when I started my ministry. And I now that I'm in the position that I can help, I'm glad to do so. All right. So let's go to our finding of the fallacy for today, which is the appeal to spite. An appeal to spite. Is the uh, if for you Latinist out there, it's argumentum ad odium, is a fallacy in which someone attempts to win favor for an argument by exploiting existing feelings of bitterness, spite, and the like in the opposing party. So it is where someone attempts to win favor for an argument by exploiting existing feelings of bitterness or spite. <clears throat> man um <laughs> yeah that's uh, uh that is so common in apologetics uh especially uh if you're doing public debates uh it's really easy to win the favor of your audience you know kind of by preaching to the choir and exploiting uh ill feelings ill will within the audience I've I've witnessed that many times in debates where, for example, if it's a Protestant debating a Catholic, um, the Protestant will bring up the burning of Jan Hus or some other uh, some other difficulty that, of course, you know, will touch these deep feelings of bitterness, resentment. If you're dialoguing with a or debating an Orthodox, they might bring up the sack of Constantinople, which still over the centuries is still a sore spot or um, or an atheist. Uh, maybe they're arguing about science. They'll bring up Galileo. And uh, so all that is is not really argumentation for or against the position, unless that's part of the thesis. 
Uh, rather, what it is is they're trying to exploit certain inborn feel, ill feelings, bitterness, spite, what have you, in order that the audience will automatically accept your arguments without necessarily giving any evidence or argumentation for it. So, like I said, it's very common, and it's also difficult to overcome in a debate. I really don't have too much of an apologetic hack for you, other than perhaps just pointing out to the audience that, first, it may not be ad rem, right? That it it has nothing to do with what's being debated, if that's the case. And uh, also to point out that that's exactly what the opponent's trying to do, trying to exploit your feelings of bitterness or spite and then ask the question why why not simply win the argument based on evidence and arguments why do you have to try to inflame people's animosities against uh catholicism and i guess that's probably the best you could do so that's our finding the fallacy for today the appeal to spite let's meet our early church father like i said not exactly a household name paulinus of Milan. Paulinus was a cleric at Milan. He was a deacon, but although Isidore of Seville calls him a priest, it remains doubtful that he ever advanced beyond the diaconate. It was soon after 375 AD that he received his clerical training in Milan, and he served for a time as a secretary of someone who you probably have heard before, St. Ambrose. So, yeah, that date should probably have raised the red flag. Milan, 375. Yeah, that sounds like the time of Ambrose and Augustine. After Ambrose's death on April 4th, 397 A.D., Paulinus went to Africa. And there, under Augustine's influence, he wrote the life of St. Ambrose, his only other extent writing is his denunciation of Celestius, who is, of course, a Pelagian, an archeretic, um, and it's addressed to Carthage to Pope Zosimus on November 8th, 418. So the only work we really have from him besides that is the life of Ambrose. Ambrose was always held with the greatest reverence by St. Augustine, who regarded him as the father of his conversion. And Augustine knew also the great bond of friendship which existed between Ambrose and Paulinus and their long years of association, which gave Paulinus a better knowledge of Ambrose than anyone else could have. Consequently, upon meeting Paulinus in Africa, Augustine suggested to him that he ought to write an account of the life of Ambrose and Paulinus's protest of his own unworthiness and lack of ability are, of course, no more than a literary device, says Jurgen's Faith Early Fathers, uh, that etiquette demanded. And indeed, he performed his task very ably. And so, thanks to uh, today's early church father, we have a biography of St. Ambrose from the person that was best suited to write such a biography, namely Paulinus of Milan. All right. Yeah. So um, now you know a little bit about Paulinus. Now you have a book. So when if you're going to the beach or something, you want to read something, uh, you might want to read The Life of St. Ambrose. All right. Here's the music coming up. Coming up next, we're going to chat with our good friends, Arthur and Teresa Beam. And uh, we're going to talk about Ellen Gould White. More to come right after this. Stay tuned.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. And we're going to talk about Seventh-day Adventism with a couple that I think they are the ultimate resource, at least for me, for all things Seventh-day Adventist. And that's Arthur and Teresa Beam. Uh, many of you might be familiar with them from their book, It's Okay Not to Be a Seventh-day Adventist. They also have a fantastic blog. You can find that at com. And above all, they have a fantastic channel that breaks down uh, SDA doctrine and all sorts of other stuff. You definitely sub- you should subscribe if you haven't. I'm a subscriber. I love the channel. All you have to do is just go to YouTube, type in Arthur and Teresa Beam, B-E-E-M, and that will come right up. And please subscribe and like. we got to get this information out. And Arthur and Teresa, welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. Good morning, Gary, and good to see you again. Yeah, it's great seeing you as well. Uh, yeah. So how are how are things in the Beam House? I know that uh, you had some uh, difficulties with COVID. Um, everything working out okay? Yeah, besides, you know, clearing the cobwebs that uh, come with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, that's a real thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't, in, until you go through it, it's, it's really is a cloudy, cloudy, cobwebby type of thing feeling for a while afterwards, you know, we're good. We're good. How are you doing? Good. Doing good. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And that's, and that's scary when you're doing ministry and you need to keep your facts straight (laughs) and think clearly. Yeah. It's a little different for us because we uh, can do our, our YouTube videos when we have time and we feel right. good. We're not on live like you are. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, the good thing is I'm normally pretty incoherent, so people wouldn't <laughs> notice a difference. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, I'm great grateful that you're going to bring this topic up because I know as a cradle Catholic, it's hard for us to appreciate, um, you know, the, the inside perspective for a groups like Seven Day Adventists, especially their perspective on leadership. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, if you don't mind, what what I thought is there is a, a I don't I don't know the right word a connection maybe I wouldn't say. Um, you hate to compare. I hate to compare the Blessed Mother with Ellen White, because there's no comparison, but it's a difficulty that ex-Adventists are going to have with Catholicism because of Ellen White. Right. You know, uh, a lot of Protestants will have biblical, you know, show me a proof text for the for the dogmas of uh, Mary, Mary, you know, Marian dogmas. But th- this is a, this is something very different. This is not something you can uh, pull out a proof text uh, to explain to them because it's more psychological baggage that um, Adventists oh, yeah. and former Adventists will have um, because of the the um, Ellen White is their prophetess. She is not just a sideline. Her writings. Uh, explain the Bible. You know, um, you have a consecration. We have to be really careful here because I don't want to, we don't want to do anything or say anything that's going to offend Catholics, but I, we just want them to understand, you know, for a former Adventist who spent their entire life 
coming to Jesus through Ellen White. When you when you talk about the consecration to Mary, there are those overtones to them that all their old uh, uh, as as a former Adventist, you reject Ellen White. Do you see what I'm saying? So, it, it, you know, as if you were to talk about Ellen uh, uh, Mary to a um, practicing Adventist, it would be a little bit different. But when a former Adventist who has rejected Ellen White, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start talking about coming to Jesus through Mary, all right. those old, you know, false. I, I The best way to put it is Seventh-day Adventists who leave realize they have been following a false prophetess. And just like it is natural for children to uh, kind of, uh, they, they get angry. You know how kids are when substitute teachers come into the into the room or or a, even a step parent. These kids will go, you know what? That's not my authority. And once um, Adventists leave the faith, they look at Ellen White and they go, hey, she was crazy. She's not my authority anymore. Then to all of a sudden talk about the consecration of Mary or or Marian dogmas. There's going to be a very different um, response from former Adventists than you would get from from uh, Protestants, and the, the, all that to say is you've got to use a little bit a different technique than just to pull out proof text. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So um, maybe uh, for me, so the question mark would be: so as an Adventist, you, like you said that that white is the one that kind of introduces you to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some perspective? that a Catholic might be able to understand uh, how does that work? How, how do, you, do you view her? And then, then we could get into the rejection and so on. Well, you have to, in a 30 second nutshell. Okay. Uh, she came about in the beginning of the 1800s. Okay. When everybody had a, uh, a science lab, Everybody, it, it was, you know, everything is, is based on, hey, I can, I can have my own lab. I can find my own new scientific thing, you know. Well, they were doing that with theology as well. In the ni- 1900s. In, in the 1900s. In the, oh, no, I'm sorry. The 1900s. Early, yeah. yeah. And so that's what she was born into. And so when she started having her visions, which I suppose if a Catholic was was doing any comparison, they, they would, uh, it sounds very familiar. If you read some of the older, um, nuns and, and people of Catholicism that have had visions, then all of a sudden Ellen White's having a lot of visions as well. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. through that is where she gets a lot of her writings from. So she has all these books on all kinds of subjects. We think she stole some some from Catherine uh, Saint Catherine Emmerich, right? And so she has a, her writings uh, seem very much along the same um, vein of the way she writes. So anyway, that's my so. If you were to read Teresa's book, it's okay not to be a Seventh Day Adventist, which is on Amazon, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it there's a a. a statement in there that all the exits are mined. So any which way that you you want to leave Adventism from, there's a guilt associated with it. Because she's written some topic somewhere in one of her books about, well, if you leave, you, you're, you're lost. 
mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm distilling it down, but that's essentially it. So leaving Adventism is very traumatic, very, very traumatic. So basically you're tearing the roots of Adventism out as you go, and it's painful or scary or guilt. You're guilt-ridden. So there's tons of guilt that she places on people through that. And so when you're talking to an ex-Adventist about the Blessed Mother now, whether you intend it or not, they they feel the fact that, well, Ellen White was a woman. She was in charge. She had all these books. She she had all these visions, right? And miracles and associated mir- to her. Self-acclaimed miracles of this. And that's what makes it so difficult. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I see a kind of parallel with Jehovah witnesses that were all there. They're also, uh, an offshoot of Adventist in that, uh, Jehovah witness in, uh, watchtower theology, you know, it's the organization. Everything's the organization. When somebody leaves the watchtower, then they don't want authority. And so right. the Pope and the church is like the worst possible thing because they already felt duped when they yes. were in the watchtower. That's so, right. so this looks like a parallel, but only with Mary. That's interesting. Right. Very much. That's right. And like I said, I don't want to say there's a comparison. There's no comparison between the Blessed Mother and Ellen White, except they're both women. And Ellen White put her in the position of, you know, one of her writings. She says, my writings are greater than the gospel. So what goes into an Adventist's mind is this very lofty, high level. Now, if you were to ask them straight out, what do you think about Ellen White? Oh, well, she just helped us understand the Bible. Uh, it's it's way more than that. Yeah. And so it just, when a Catholic approaches um, an Adventist, they need to keep that in mind. This is more than just pulling out a proof text like you would do other Protestants. You know what I'm saying? Protestants want to know from the Bible where you get married. But Adventists have a psychological barrier there. And it has, um, I'm going to let Arthur explain it to you, but uh, there's a lot of misogyny (laughs) in the Adventist church because a lot of young men are brought up to just literally hate being bossed around by a woman. I mean, uh, it, it, you want to... Well, so if, if you go back to the uh, early 1800s again, where you have men going into the factories to work, a lot of them wouldn't go to church anymore. They were exhausted or they had to work. And so the wife and the children went to church. So you had a lot of these positions that were being filled by women. So, I mean, that's just a little part of it. But now with Adventism, you have the leader of the Adventist church being a woman and being very forceful. She's very, she's a very forceful woman at that. So when you leave now, and, and with that, here's a little, uh, another piece of it is they are, um, uh, they don't believe in picking up arms, you yeah. know, being in military, do you, do except you- unless you're a medic. Okay, so do you know the story? Uh, uh, okay, Mel, it's the Mel Gibson about the hero. Uh, what was his name? And I yeah. can't. He was an Adventist. Uh, um, uh, Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss. But I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. Uh, but anyway, that was an, a Seventh Day Adventist. They they were completely. They do not believe in. Uh, they're complete pacifists. 
They do not believe in taking up arms. They don't believe that you should hit somebody if they hit you back. I mean, if they hit you, you don't hit back. I mean, they're very, very into pacifism. And I was going to let you, that's... that's Right. (laughs) And so from that, what you get uh, is, how do you put it nicely, but a very wussified male part of the church. Yeah. Because not only are they passive on that, they're also passive theologically. So that's why, do you, how many Adventists have you ever seen in the debate circles? You, you don't. Right. They're not there. Because, you know, she has, you know, you don't want to be deceived. So you, you really can't have conversations with anybody unless you're trying to, you know, get them into the Adventist church. But, but I mean, the, the Adventist church has very much effeminized men. Um, men just do not believe, and you, you don't. Everything is is. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, I mean, even the conscientious objector to guns goes to conscientious objector to a lot of things that rolls in. And so with that, you get a very placid, very feminized. uh, And and they don't they don't eat meat because it's not just (laughs) the reason. Yeah, I I hear the music come out. Why don't we hit pause right there? We're chatting with Arthur and Teresa Beam, talking about seven-day Adventism. More to come right after the break. Listening hands on college. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Arthur and Teresa Beam, talking about Elgold White and also uh, obstacles to veneration of Mary. And uh, actually, be, while the, we were on the break, I looked up the movie name. It's Hacksaw Ridge. Is the Hacksaw, uh, yeah. Hacksaw yeah. Ridge? Yeah. So um, unfortunately, the music snuck up on us. And uh, Teresa, you were just saying. Um, uh, about this kind of feminization that occurs, and, and actually, you were talking about eating meat. Yeah, that's very interesting, especially from a <laughs> nursing standpoint. Is that uh, they're they're vegan? They were the like the original vegans, you know. And um, as you well know, in her writings, she makes the statement that if you eat meat, as it passes through your system and gets to your bowels, it creates. Um, Sexual stimuli. That's right. She really believed that. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they were not to eat meat or pepper or tea or coffee because all those things would make you want be bad. And and uh, and not just bad. I mean, it would bring out the male uh, aggressiveness, right. sexual right. aggressiveness. In other words, she was trying to stamp out natural masculines and, and for right. some reason at that time she believed that if, if they if you didn't eat any meat and so the seventh day Adventists are very well known for all their meat substitutes and um yeah it, and so <clears throat> interestingly enough <laughs> you look into the substance that the uh, veggie meats are made out of soy and as we all know now soy es- dumps estrogens in your system and even makes you even that much more placid you know, yeah. and so it's it's kind of a perfect storm for them. Yeah, you know, you want to calm calm your men down. You have a, a woman in the the head position of the church, and so you get this type of misogyny, especially when a lot you of leave. Young men. 
oh my word, you know. They're very angry. Yeah. Uh, very angry young men. I mean, because I had a, um, a Facebook page that had hundreds and hundreds of uh, Seventh-day Adventists who left the church would come on to our discussions. And I, I noticed that over the years, because I did it for seven years, that the young men were the most angry. I mean, just so angry yeah. because they felt that that um, Ellen White had t- taken away their masculinity. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it was hard to know quite how to deal with that. But I know that this is very, very common. And um, there's a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, anger against women, <coughs> excuse me, and rebelliousness. And, and another thing that you just said about the Jehovah's Witnesses and um, Adventists are the same way, you know, once you, you've been burned by an organization, um, then you are like, uh, we, we love God. We just hate religion. You know, that, right. that same thing that, I mean, it's, I'm spiritual. Seven. I'm not religious, right. which you hear a lot from a lot of Protestants or, or evangelicals or whatever. But when an Adventist says it, it has a whole new meaning. Once you know, the background right. to it is they don't want anything to do with it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. a woman run organization that just, you know, pounds them. Yeah. And so uh, it, it's just basically we want people to know, it, you know, we've been trying to figure out what is the answer? What is the answer? Because, yeah. OK, first of all. Ellen White was known to have um, miracles that were seen by 20,000 people, 10 to 20,000 people at the same time. And so when. A former Adventist will hear about Fatima and about other Marian apparitions. They are like, we we are we already heard all this. I mean, the skepticism is um, palpable, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's because mm-hmm. they have already been burned, you know. Right. That's right. And, uh, and this, so it's, you know, uh, I don't I don't know. It's, it's so tough. so basically, when to bring it all together, you've got. A man, an Adventist man who it's left, who's left the church, and what you get from a lot of very Orthodox Catholics is they immediately start talking about, well, you need to pray to Mary. Well, you need to, you know, she is the co-redemptrix. Well, and, you know, and they keep on up a notch, up a notch, and all of a sudden, Mary looks like she's sitting amongst the Godhead. To an ad to an ex Adventist, and they're like, "Wait a minute, we just left." That. I believe, yeah, I believe in God here. You know what? How did she get involved? You know what I'm saying? Because right. without the explanation and the history being deep in history, as Marcus Grota is always saying, is you know, that's a difficult one to bridge for an ex Adventist. And so, talking to them, it's very important to understand this. And the verbiage is important. It's very important how you speak to them. Yeah, that's something uh, that's come up a number of times with uh, when you've been on the show is how important uh, how certain words, certain ideas are loaded that's... and either positively or negatively. And boy, yeah. if you hit one of those words that's that's negative, uh, everything shuts down. Yeah, and and I do believe that there are many many Adventists who are desperately wanting a mom like our blessed mother (laughs) because they've been abused by this woman their whole life, a woman that died in 1950, but she is so 
um, she is an abusive mother. She has all these expectations about your perfection that you're brought up with. And I'm telling you, she's a scary, she's a scary lady, this Ellen White. And I don't care what people tell you. If you read her writings, she is one of the most uh, negative. If you read, see what happens is the church has taken Ellen White's writings and they have cut out all of the bad stuff. They polished and, them. Right. And so they, they give you uh, a condensed version of Ellen White. And they, it's really funny because the Avenue is called Ellen Light <laughs> because <laughs> she, she they, they've just taken out all the horrors of her writings where she, she's brutal and she's vicious. And then they just, they just uh, put together the good stuff. And so when people come in, all they hear is this beautiful, because there are, she has some very beautiful writings that she stole from other people. And I mean, I don't want to be ugly, but that is absolutely the facts. She was a plagiarist who took beautiful writings from, from other people and put it together and then took credit for it. And so the Adventists, when they read this, they'll read Ellen White and they go, she is one of the most beautiful writers ever was. Well, yes, because she knew how to steal. Well, she, she got around that by saying, well, the Lord, my angel, she always referred to as if she spoke directly to her angel and they right. conversed. Yeah. My angel brought it to me. Right. So she got around the, a lot of the plagiarism. by saying, Well, it's important. So the angel right. brought it to me so right. I can just take credit for it. Right. You know. And so um, I would say that there are lots of Adventists that are so ready for a blessed mother who Amen. loves them and who isn't just constantly telling them they're not good enough and, and standing at in front of the cross, actually standing and blocking the cross mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they would be the happiest people in the world. Uh, but but you never know who those are. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? When you're talking to Adventists, you, you, and especially I would say the Adventist men would be more hostile. Uh, but if I'm not, I don't think we're saying don't bring it up, but just no. be aware. Of no, it. no, no. For personal opinion, I, I just loved hearing about the Blessed Mother absolutely loved it it's when you you, and you know very well you have a lot of uh orthodox ish very orthodox catholics that'll turn that dial up keep on turning that dial up to where they don't even talk about christ anymore they're only talking about the blessed mother and when you do that with an adventist bad i mean there's just they they will shut just shut it off they're already angry at ellen white why in the world do we want to talk about another woman that's in charge of my life type of thing yeah you know but i mean again i mean the beauty the beauty has got to show through when you talk to them yeah and um again it's just hard to know well really when you start talking about the love christ had for his mother there we go that's i love that answer that's where you go. You know, uh, the interesting thing is, okay, now we're going to get, I'm going to get into a more personal um, um, situation here. My favorite, um, beautiful, oh my word, I'm so sorry. <laughs> my most favorite um, song growing up was Ave Maria. And the Adventists have changed the words. They have the same beautiful music, but they've changed the words and so that you could sing it. And in my heart, I was a singer and I've sing a lot in Adventist um uh, churches, churches, mm-hmm. but I'd have to change the words. Mm-hmm. But that those words meant so much to me because it's Christ 
really and truly it's God speaking to his beautiful, beautiful little girl who he's the father's going to send down his son through. And you know, it as, a, as an Adventist, you know it, you're, you're afraid to go there, <laughs> but because it's Catholic, you know, you're right. but that was my favorite music. And so lots of Adventists are just deeply, deeply needing a good mom. And I'm afraid um, the way it's presented, you have to be just careful about. And right. and it's I don't want to scare people off from talking to Adventists, you know, because mm-hmm. they need the Blessed Mother. But it's just it's an odd thing. Um, With them, it's just in, if you just make sure to do it in order yeah. of Christ and the Godhead and the authority of the Church and the 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 saints. And, and introduce the Blessed Mother through the concepts of the church and, and, and the saints and everything else, it's a lot more understandable than going directly there, right. uh, especially to an Adventist. It's just, it's just not, not going to work very well. Are we making sense? Is any of this? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this is, um, I'm just thinking, boy, this makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, superficial parallels like, uh, Ellen Gold White would talk about this, uh, you know, the angel talking to her and then you have the blessed Virgin Mary with Gabriel, right? I mean, it's like, there are some similarities or superficialities that, uh, yeah, I think if you, uh, approach Mary the wrong way, it really could be, uh, off-putting, especially for someone who's trying to, uh, get away from, this uh you know the the domination of white well I, I hear the music coming up we're chatting with arthur and Teresa beam of arthur and Teresa beam on youtube check out their channel and subscribe got a lot more to talk about so stay tuned we'll be right back now back to hands-on apologetics with gary machuda if you'd like to join the conversation call 888 888- Five two six two one five one. Here's Gary, and welcome back, everybody. Hands on apologetics. We're chatting with Arthur and Teresa Beam, talking about Seventh Day Adventism, and yeah, I was thinking over the break in so many different ways. Ellen Gold White seems to be like an anti-Mary, you know, mm-hmm. where Mary yeah. says, "Do whatever he tells you." Ellen Gold White says, "Do whatever I tell you." You That's know. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, Arthur said something, I think, that hit it on the nose. For Adventists, introduce Mary through the eyes of Christ. You know, we, we've been taught it's, it's Christ through Mary. But when you deal with an Adventist, we can get there. You can get to the consecration of Mary. My children uh, are raised Adventists and they're consecrated to Mary. Um, but... I would first start it out with introducing Mary through the eyes of Christ. And then we can, once, once that's understand, stood, <laughs> understandable, um, then you can go the other route. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I do have a question, though. I hope I don't throw this <laughs> off track. No, go ahead. But you, you mentioned how the SDA has kind of sanitized Ellen Gold White's writings to, to make her more palatable. Yeah. Uh, uh, so how does the, that uh, her personality come out? 
Is it, as you continue in Seventh-day Adventism, is it institutionalized that, you know, this kind of domination kind of comes through or? They play her up to be this just, the story is that she got hit in the face when she was a kid by, with a rock that supposedly disformed her nose or, or something. It, but supposedly she had this wound and was laid up for weeks. And they play her up to be this meek, timid little girl. And they never go back on that. They leave it in, <laughs> with you that she's still this deformed, meek little little girl. And um, what they, the things they don't tell you is how many times she reprimands people through her visions. Yeah, she... she um... Okay, they protect her writing. There's in the uh, Seventh day Adventist General Conference, there is an official uh, Ellen White writings uh, um, building, and they treat it, they call her writings sacred. Sacred writings. And yeah. so, so uh, anyway, they are in utter and total control. And they dumped a whole bunch of, of her writings in, in 2016 onto the internet because so many people were crying out. They said, You're, you're not being legitimate. You're not being legitimate. Right. And in 2016, uh, a whole bunch of people left the church because they got to see a lot of her writings. But um, th they make excuses for so much of what she did. Um, she called herself Hannah because her first son, uh, she left with a neighbor for three years. Her, her infant son, she felt called to the ministry of giving the new and, and eternal gospel, which is uh, the story of the, I mean, which is, we, we go through in the story of the Sabbath, but, but um, she, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that they have been called to preach the Sabbath as a last day message to the world, that, that the Sabbath is going to be the great test of whether you're a true Christian or not. So she That's felt. That's the seal. They call that the, the, the seal. The seal of God is yeah. what day you worship on. And so she felt so strongly about this, she abandoned her first son to a neighbor <clears throat> for three years. And when people asked her about this, because she wrote very dramatically, you don't have children. See, they believe in contraception. She said, do not have children that you cannot take care of, period. But then she had children and would give them to other people. And it wasn't that she uh, she couldn't take care of them. It wasn't, it was that she, and she said, had plenty of money. Yeah, there was I mean, plenty of money. There was more than one house. She wasn't, she, she could have taken care of her son and taken him with uh, her and her husband. But she chose because she said, God told her, I'm Hannah. I'm Hannah, she kept saying. Well, so, uh, you know, that is a great hypocrisy that you would tell women not to have children if they can't take care of them. And yet she just dumps her, her son for three years. Um, and then they just excuse that. And then when it gets to be enough of an outrage, they just basically take it, uh, just gently take it out of her writings, <laughs> you know? And so there are different writings. If you get the 1800s writings, and then you see the 1950s writings of Ellen White, they've expunged a lot of the more negative things because I evidently it was more acceptable to, to people 100 years ago that you know you would abandon your child to go give a new uh, everlasting gospel. But anyway. Yeah. So uh, new people who joined the SDA, um, uh, do they still have that those feelings, uh, especially men having uh, this kind of animosity and so on? 
uh, because of the sanitizing thing, or is it still? Well, I would say it's only people who leave the church. So these are former Adventists that would feel this animosity because I would say most people that come into the church would love her. In other words, she's their prophetess. You wouldn't become a Seventh-day Adventist if you didn't have a great respect for her writings. And, um, and no matter how down, they very much downplay the writings to the, the, the new Seventh-day Adventists. They still, there's a way that they always, without naming her, they always uh, they'll say sister interpret, and, and, yeah, interpret the Bible through right, her writings. Right, right. Um, every single year, the Seventh-day Adventists do a outreach, an evangelical outreach. It's supposed to be to the whole world. One year they did it to, with um, the Canadians, and they sent out a million of Ellen White's books. But you would never know they were Ellen White's from the book cover yeah. and they name it something different. Right. They, they condense it and take out all the crazy writings and they send them out as evangelical tools. They have these um, big seminars. They just got through doing one in, uh, I think it was Indiana. So, I think it was Indiana where they, they had it across the world where they would have um, these evangelistic services online uh, where it was called revelation of hope. And they no longer they no longer are super anti uh, Catholic in it, but I thought that was really interesting because you made this brilliant statement. I mean, it just the lights went on because you said it was the fallacy of spite, right? Yeah, yeah right. isn't that what you said? The fallacy yeah. of spite. That is what Adventists have. Everything they have is lodged on that because the Sabbath was changed. They believe by Catholics. The, the Catholics are the whore of Babylon. Catholics are the great beast of revelation. And so they, every single thing that they give is based on the fact that uh, Catholics are the whore of Babylon. And so, uh, yeah, and so you go and, but now instead of saying Catholics, they'll say the early church or the church of the 14th century, or you know what I'm right. saying? They, they refuse. They, they're trying to whitewash what they're really saying. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So, uh, so if someone meets a former uh, Seventh-day Adventist, you definitely would not go to Marian apparitions, uh, private revelations, all that not stuff uh, has very negative connotations. And like you said, you'd want to focus on Christ and Christ's vision, Mary. And it's interesting. I mean, from an apologetic standpoint, that's not what Marian doctrine is built on anyway, right? It's it's built on Scripture and the tradition of the Church. Uh, so uh, introducing uh, them to Mary, we'd, we'd uh, focus on Christ and her relationship to Christ, right? Well, when we came in, uh, there were a lot of—and they're so excited about it, and I understand. And it's, it's just such a wonderful thing. And they immediately, you know, a section of our church came into us and wanted us to accept certain Marian apparitions because they're so excited about it. But um, just to understand when you when you when you talk with the Adventist, that can go either way. <laughs> that, can, that can really repel them or they could be really excited. Well, to, plus, to see the, the what's an apparition? Have you ever even looked into what an apparition is? You know, to them, it's like saying ghost. Yeah. Or, yeah, they would think or spook or, yeah. or some kind of, there's so much explanation that goes behind Fatima to just say Fatima and expect everybody to think of it the way 
uh, an Orthodox Catholic would see it. Yeah. That's expecting too much. And, and really, you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't make any sense because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, territory to co- cover theologically to get from there to there. Right. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah that's really good advice because I, uh, Teresa, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like Catholics love Mary so much. It's uh, when someone comes into church, their first instinct is get them a rosary, you know, <laughs> pile on the Mary stuff because they love it, you know. Well, I mean, but, you know, that the rosary part. That was immediately, I mean, I did not see any problems to the rosary. Once I was um, uh, explained what it was, uh, it, it is, again, you're talking about the life of Christ through Mary, his mom. I mean, what a, what an amazing thing. That really wasn't the problem, but it was the apparitions that, and I wouldn't say that they, of course, we're in the church, so it didn't, but it was, it was, you they don't understand, you know, they've just got this extra baggage that most Protestants don't. And you can't. And it's very toxic, heavy baggage. Yeah. It's not average baggage. It's you're, you're talking about Ellen White. You just discovered that she lied and was a plagiarist and all that. And then now you're expecting me to jump right back in their minds. Not, not really but right back into the same boat with the Blessed Mother, which it's not, but trying to get that through right off the bat is pretty tough. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, we're coming up to the end of the hour, and I want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing on your channel. Well, we've got the uh, story of the Sabbath. That's our newest project on our channel. And uh, we want to take Seventh-day Adventists, uh, through uh, the real story of the Sabbath. In this, the story of the Sabbath is one of the most amazing. You know, every, we always, as Christians, point back to the Passover and the Lamb as symbolic of Christ. But there's this beautiful early church father's view of the Sabbath that is uh, just amazing. And um, so we're trying to take Adventists through that and show them the Catholic Church did not change the Sabbath in the way they think. The Catholics have just fulfilled the Sabbath in the most beautiful way. And so this next one we're doing, which we haven't had much time to do, but um, we're doing the time from, from Constantine to Charlemagne. Awesome. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, It's always a, I, I feel like I should get college credit when you guys are on because I always learn so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Thank you very much. Have a great, great Thanks. You too. It's Arthur and Teresa Beam. Check out on YouTube. Just t- type in their uh, name. I highly recommend the channel. You learn a lot. Wow. Okay. The hour's gone. Coming up next, High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Justin Show. Thank you so much for listening. God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. Do this thing we're calling this on a